today's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's word. Janice, thanks for reading God's word. Come, let's pray again as we settle our hearts to hear from God. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we come to you again and we ask that you would quieten our hearts before your word. We thank you for how you've spoken. We pray that you would speak to us. Help us to respond to you, Father, with worship that pleases you. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Saviour. Amen. Uh, I like watching war movies, so I thought it'd be good to start today's sermon with a war movie illustration. <laughs> uh, this, this movie kind of dates me a bit. It's about 20 years old. I hard to imagine. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, you know, how, how many of you have seen this? Okay, so so fair number have seen this. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell us the plot. So if you want to watch it and not be... Uh, not have your surprises ruined, you, you might want to stop listening. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story. So, so this is really the story of Private Ryan. <laughs> and when the story starts out, you know, all of Private Ryan's, James Ryan's brothers have been killed in war. Uh, so the, the military at that time, they, they, they learn of this, and, and they, they, don't, they want to spare Private Ryan's mother from the pain of possibly losing all of her sons. So what do they do? They decide to send Private Ryan home. The trouble is, they don't know where Private Ryan is. You know, they know that he's somewhere uh, at the front of the fighting with his unit, but, but, they, but, then, but they're not sure. So what do they do? They, they gather together a squad of soldiers, led by one Captain John Miller, to find Private Ryan. Yeah, that's, that's Tom Hanks, Captain John Miller. Uh, you, know, you can imagine the task isn't easy, so they, they, they land in enemy territory, they begin to move closer and closer to where the fighting is heaviest in the, in the hopes of finding Private Ryan. And then, you know, okay, spoiler alert, right? At the end of the movie, there's this climatic battle and, and most of the squad is killed. Captain Miller himself is mortally wounded. You know, at this big battle they have at the bridge fighting the Germans, and then as Captain Miller lies there, kind of mortally wounded, you know, Private Ryan comes to him, so they finally, they finally find Private Ryan. So Private Ryan comes to Captain Miller, you know, and this, these are Captain Miller's last words to Private Ryan. And he says to him, earn this. Earn this. You know, what, what do you mean by that? Earn this. I think the point that Captain Miller was trying to make to Private Ryan was this. All these men have given their lives to save yours. You know, make sure the rest of your life makes their sacrifices worthwhile. So earn this. No, he's not telling him to earn all that they've done, but rather to, to make all that they've done really worthwhile, right? all, all that sacrifice that's gone into saving Private Ryan. 
And then in the, in the epilogue of the movie, uh, we have this scene of Private Ryan as an old man. He comes to visit the grave of Captain John Miller. And as he stands before the grave of Captain John Miller, you know, this is what uh, Private Ryan says. You know, he says, I've, I've remembered what you've said to me every day of my life since the day you said it. And then he says to the, to the gravestone, I, ho I hope I've earned this. And I hope that I've lived a good life. You know, it, it, it's a very striking scene, right? That, the, that Private Ryan understood that he was saved for a purpose. Right? He wasn't just saved to, to kind of go on living life as he pleased, but he knew that he, he was saved in order to, so that his life would count. His life would have purpose and meaning to, to make all the sacrifices worthwhile. And, and I think that's a good question to ask ourselves as, for, as well as we come to this text in Romans 12. You know, what, what are we saved for? What has God saved us for? Now, I found the first question of you know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism very, very helpful. It's something that stuck with me since the day I've you know, read the catechism. The, the question is this, right? This is the first question. What is the chief end of man? You know, what, what are we all about? What's life all about? It says the man's chief end. This is why we were created. This is why we were saved. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, friends, God made us and God saved us for this one purpose, which is worship. Worship. But what is worship? Right? I think you know, it's, a, it's a term that Christians use a lot of, right? Worship, worship. But, but what is worship? Is it something that we do when we gather here on Sundays? Is, is that all that worship is? You know, if someone were to ask you, why do you go to church? You know, we say, oh, to worship God. Right? But, but is this all that there is to worship? You know, does, does worship mean simply coming to church on Sundays? Or, or even more narrowly, does, does worship just mean the music or the songs that we sing? If, if our chief end is to glorify God by worshipping Him, then we must understand what true worship is. You know, this is why this text, Romans 12, is, is so vital to us as, as we come to understand what it means to truly, to truly give God the worship that He deserves. In fact, Paul in these verses call us to worship God, right? Give Him spiritual worship. So as we work our way through these two verses, just, just two points for us to think about this morning. Why we worship and how we worship. Why and how. So let's start with why. Why do we do it? Why do we worship God? Look at verse 1. Now, what, what's the key word in verse 1? I think we, we might miss it if we're not careful. The key word in verse 1 is actually, therefore. Therefore. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. You know, good practice when we study the Bible, you know, every time we come, when we see the word therefore in the Bible, what do we do? We need to ask what it is there for. So therefore, right, connects us, connects these two verses to what's been written previously, right? That, that's how the word therefore is working. 
So therefore, in Romans 12, 1 to 2, actually connects these two verses to what Paul has said in the earlier part, in the earlier parts of his letter. In, in fact, the, the whole of chapters 1 to 11. You know, this is what we've seen so far in, in Romans, uh, in, in, our, in our series through Romans. In, in chapters 1 to 3, you know, Paul has talked about why we need the gospel. In, chapters, you know, in the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4, Paul has talked about, you know, what is the gospel? Right? This is what it is. And then in chapters 5 to 8, Paul's talked about you know, how the gospel gives us hope. And then chapters 9 to 11 that we finished uh, hearing from last week, Paul shows us how the gospel demonstrates God's faithfulness and wisdom. And then when we get to Romans 12, we reach a, a key turning point in the, gospel, in, in, in the book of Romans. You know, having explained the, the fullness and the riches of the gospel in chapters 1 to 11, Paul now moves from truth to application. He moves from gospel doctrine to gospel practice. You know, knowledge is useless. You know, knowing about the gospel is useless if we don't actually believe and live it out. In Romans 1 to 11 lays the foundation for our lives in the truth of the gospel. Romans 12 to 16 builds on this foundation by showing us how we should practically live in light of this gospel. Hence the word, therefore, right? Therefore, you've heard the gospel, you've understood the gospel, therefore, live it out. The gospel is the reason why we worship. You know, friends, if, if you don't understand this, you know, this is such a crucial truth of the Christian life. If you don't understand this, that the Christian life can become a burdensome list of just do's and don'ts. You know, if, if we don't understand why we worship, if we're just told, go worship, we might just think, oh, then the Christian life is just about do this, don't do that. You know, and that's all that there is. No reason, no foundation. We're just doing things. So the word therefore reminds us that the gospel is the source of our new life. Christ is the root that sustains and nourishes all that we do as his followers. You know, we know the passage in John 15, right? He is the true vine and we are the branches that are joined to him. Therefore, live it out. You know, I, I think it's very striking in, in verse 1. What does Paul do? He doesn't command. You notice? He doesn't command. He doesn't say, okay, I command you to do these things. I command you to be a spiritual, to, to give your bodies as a spiritual worship. You know, he doesn't command. What does he do? He appeals. And it's an interesting, interesting turn of phrase. Right? I, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. You know, Paul persuades, he, he wins us not by kind of forcing obedience down our throats, but he wins us, he seeks to persuade us with the mercies of God. He says, because God has shown us mercy, therefore we are to worship Him. You know, we, we don't worship God in order to get something from Him. You know, we don't worship Him to get something from Him. 
we worship Him because He has already given us His Son. You know, that, that motivation is so different. True worship is a humble and grateful response. A humble and grateful response to God. You know, we, we come to Him with hearts filled with joy, with hearts filled with thankfulness because of the mercies of Jesus Christ. That's why we come. And friends, we're, we're all worshippers. You know, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, we are all worshippers. Because what is worship? Worship at, at its heart, it, it's really the devotion that we give to someone or something because our hearts are, are just our hearts value that someone or something. Our, our hearts cherish that someone or something. So all of us in our hearts, we, we cherish, we value, we ascribe worth to someone or something. All of us are worshippers, whether we are Christians or not. In fact, Romans 1 starts out with a statement about worship, right? If you remember back in Romans 1, Paul says that the problem with humanity, the problem with humankind, all of us, is that we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So all of us are worshippers. The problem is not whether we worship or not. The problem is who or what do we worship? You know, who or what do we ascribe worth in our hearts to? Who or what do we value and cherish in our hearts? Who or what do we worship? So sin, fundamentally, is a failure of worship. Sin is disordered worship. And that's why Paul talks about sin as falling short of the glory of God because we fail to worship Him as God. We fail to honour Him as God, or give thanks to Him. Instead, our hearts are drawn away by other things and other people. Friends, the gospel rescues us from false worship. God took the initiative to save us. You know, he says in 9 verse 15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. You know, God has not given us what our sins deserve. His mercy is more. He says in chapter 11, verse 30, you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. And, and how has God shown us mercy in spite of our false worship? God has shown us mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, he died the death that we should have died for our sins. He offered to God the obedience that we should have given. And because of Jesus, we can be forgiven and made right with God. We can be adopted as God's beloved children. You know, what did Jesus come to do? I think in John 4, Jesus says these words, right? He, he came to seek true worshippers. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to transform us from false worshippers to true worshippers who worship God in spirit and truth, spiritual worship. So friends, only Jesus makes true worship possible. You know, that, that's the clear 
testimony of Scripture that without Jesus, true worship is impossible because we can't come to God. We can't come to God with our sin and defilement and expect Him to receive us. Jesus opens the way for guilty sinners like us to draw near to a holy God in true worship. And that's why Paul says, right, by the mercies of God, you know, if, if God has been so good to us through Jesus Christ, how can we not worship Him? You know, if, if He's opened up the way for us to come to a sovereign, almighty, great creator God, you know, how, can we not, how can we not worship Him? How can we not give ourselves to Him? What, what motivates us to worship God? Why, why are we here? Why are we here? Do we worship because, it, we, because we think it will help us earn His favour? You know, maybe some of us have made bargains with God. You know, I've heard, I've heard people say this. I've, I've thought this myself as well. You know, God, if I attend church more regularly, then maybe you can give me what I want. Right? We kind of make these bargains with God in our minds. God, if I, if I give you these things, then maybe you can give me those things. Do we worship merely out of a sense of obligation or, or just mere duty? Oh, Sunday, got to be here. Do we worship perhaps to even prove our own righteousness? That we're not like those other people who don't worship. Do we worship because we want others to think well of us? That's why we're here. Do we worship because uh, we have our, the, the approval of our Christian family or friends that we want to secure. We're afraid of losing their approval, so we're here. You know, the, these motivations might bring about some external compliance, but, but friends, these motivations will not last us. Uh, they, they, they won't keep us as true worshippers of God. Now, we'll give up after a while, after our hearts become tired. You know. Our hearts need to be moved by the mercies of God. You know, and over the next few weeks, as we work through the rest of Romans 12 to 16, you know, these chapters contain many commands, many uh, exhortations for us to obey. You know, and, and as, as we come to all these commands in Romans 12 to 16, all these exhortations, why should we obey them? Why should we obey them? Only the mercies of God will move us to keep God's word. You know, as, as Jesus says in the gospel, the one who has been forgiven much will love much. You know, do we realize the depth of mercy? that Christ has shown us. You know, if we do, we understand that we've been forgiven much, then we will love lavishly. We'll obey lavishly because we, 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 we grasp the, the great generosity that Christ has shown us. One application for parents, right? I'm a parent myself, so, so this speaks to me as well. You know, Ian... Yeah, I'm talking about my Ian, not Pastor Ian. <laughs> so Ian always asks me why, right? So when I ask him to do things, he would say, why? You know, why? So, what about this? What about that? Why? You know? and, and I realized when I, when I talk to Ian, you know, I, I can't just tell him, 
just do it. <laughs> or, although I'm really tempted to do that, right? Sometimes I'm tired, just do it, just do it. You know, or those of you who attended the biblical counseling seminar that we did uh, last month, you know, stop it, right? Stop doing that, you know, just stop it, right? Why? No, don't ask, don't ask me why, just stop it. You know, friends, it, as, as a parent, I know that it doesn't work, right? Children don't want to just be told what to do. They, they want to know why they should do it. You know, uh, my goal as a parent should be more than just to change the external behavior of my two boys, Zach and Ian. I, I need to give them a reason, right? This, this is why you should live in this way. Not, not just because dad says just do it or, or stop it, but, but I, need to, I need to show them this, this is a reason for living in this way and, and this reason better be a good one, right? This reason better last them through their lives, not, not just when they're young, but into their adult lives as well. What, what reason can I give them that will really propel them and compel them to obey? Friends, only the mercies of God. Only the mercies of God can truly transform the lives of my two sons. So what do I need to do as a parent? I, I need to give them a reason. I need to help them to see and cherish the grace of God, the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. So, so that their hearts, you know, so that Ian's heart, so that Zach's heart, so that their hearts are moved by His mercy. Not simply because Dad tells them to do something. Not simply because there are other people who are watching. But, but so that they, they understand that because Christ is merciful, because He saves us, Therefore, live this way. You know, how, how, do we do, how, do, how do I do this as a parent? You know, how do I do this as a parent? I, I can't give my kids what I do not have. Right, parents, we, we can't give our children what we do not have ourselves. What do we need as parents? You know, we don't need just parenting techniques. We need to have our hearts moved with joy and thankfulness for Jesus Christ. Uh, our hearts must first be moved by the mercies of God. Because if my heart is not moved by the mercies of Christ, how can I tell my son to obey because Christ is merciful? The best thing for, uh, parents we can do for our children is to ensure that our own hearts, not the hearts of our children, but our own hearts are filled with, with a deep sense of Christ's mercy. And, and only then, when we speak to them, this, this mercy will overflow out of our hearts as we communicate to them, hey, the gospel is real. The gospel saves. The, the gospel empowers us to live in this way that's different. Not because we're trying to be good people, but because His mercy is more. And Paul says in, these, in verse 1 that our worship is spiritual. You know, the word spiritual is an interesting word. It doesn't appear that much in the New Testament. The, the word spiritual you know, has, 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 a, has a range of meaning. And one meaning is that spiritual is internal, right? It's, it's not just external worship. But spiritual means that our worship involves our hearts as well as our minds. 
So Paul says, worship God from your heart. Worship God from the inside out. It's not just external. But, but the word spiritual also has this interesting range of meaning. It, it, it means rational. It means reasonable. Right? So we worship God from our hearts, but we also worship God because it makes sense. It's rational. It's reasonable. So, so what, is, what, 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 Paul's, what Paul is saying is this. You know, worship God because it is reasonable to do so. Worship God because because He's been merciful to us, therefore the only right response that we can give to a merciful God is worship. It would be unreasonable to fail to worship Him. I mean, we we understand this, right? Because, for example, if, for example, you owe someone a lot of money and you definitely can't repay because the debt is so huge. And this person that you owe money to, just completely because of the goodness of his heart, what does he do? He forgives your debt. He says, I know you owe me X amount, but I love you. I'm just going to forgive your debt. You owe me nothing. What would be the reasonable response to this person who's just forgiven your debt? It's immense thanksgiving, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm so thankful. You know, I, I, I'm so grateful for what you've done. You know, I, I know I don't deserve this, but, but my heart is just filled with with joy, you know, that, that would be the reasonable response. The unreasonable response would be to, go, to look at him and say, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, this is something that I deserve anyway, so forget you, you know. That would be unreasonable, right? And we understand that. And that's what Paul is saying here in this text as well. If, if Christ has forgiven us because he's been so full of mercy, the only right response is to worship him. To fail to do so would be unreasonable reasonable. You know, and, and Paul uses this reasoning again and again throughout Scripture. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, and here's the kicker, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That is the reasonable response. If, if Christ has died for you, the only reasonable thing for you to do is stop living for yourself. But you live for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, I love the final stanza of Isaac Watts' hymn, you know, When I Survey. You know, it says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul my life, my all, right? by the mercies of God. So friends, that's why we worship. How do we worship? Then? How do we worship? Paul says in these verses that spiritual worship involves just two main things. And then he'll go on in chapters 12 to 16 to kind of further flesh out what these two main things look like in all of life. But rather, these are the two things. You know, we worship by offering ourselves wholly to God, and we worship by being transformed, not conformed. So Paul says in, in verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So th there's a very important truth about worship here that we mustn't miss. This, this key truth about worship. Paul says, worship is not just what you do on Sundays. Worship is all of life. Right? Worship is all 
of life. We are to offer ourselves entirely to God. As Paul says, we, we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. Therefore, God wants all of us. Right? He, he's purchased all of us, you know, all of our lives in its entirety. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice to Him. You know, hold nothing back from God. Don't, don't give Him our leftovers. You know, I like the story in, in Luke's in, in the Gospels about the widow, you know, the, the story about the widow offering a penny. You know, it's a familiar story. You know. uh, Jesus tells the story about how you know, many people come to the temple and, and they offer huge amounts, right? You know, these wealthy people are coming and they're giving a lot of money to the temple. And this, this humble widow steps up and all she has is a penny. And she puts in a penny. You know, and comparatively speaking, we think, wow, you know, that, that's not very much. You know, look at these wealthy folks, you know, they've given so much more. But, but here's what Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. As we think about worship, the question for us to reflect on is not how much are we giving to God. No, that's, that's not actually the question we ask. It's not how much we are giving to God, but it's how much are we keeping back for ourselves. It's not how much you are giving to God, but how much are you keeping back for yourself? You know, my, my two sons, they, they love eating pomelo, or pomelo, <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce it. So my, my mother-in-law, you know, being a very doting grandmother, she buys pomelo for my two sons. So she, she was telling me this story, so she goes to the fruit seller near her house, and she, she asks him for pomelo. Then the fruit seller asks her this really interesting question. She, so the fruit seller asks my mother-in-law, what is it for? Is the pomelo for the altar? You know, I know some some people put pomelos on the altar, right, to, as, as part of the, the ritual of worship. So, so this fruit seller asked my, grand, my mother-in-law, is this, is this for the altar or is it for eating? And my mother-in-law looked at him kind of puzzlingly and said, what's the difference? And the fruit seller said, oh, for altar, right? Looks good on the outside, but tastes awful. <laughs> inside, very bad one. You know? The one for eating, very ugly on the outside, but inside, very nice. <laughs> I think we think about worship that way, right? Is it for the altar or is it for ourselves? Is for the altar? Well, I look very good on the outside. You know, very well put together, but inside not very nice. But for ourselves, wow, you know, make sure it makes sure it's really, really good, right? Make sure it's really, really top quality. Friends, we, we need to be honest and examine our hearts, right? What kind of pomelos are we? <laughs> Now, I wonder if some of us pre pre prefer a, a pretty narrow definition of worship, right? We, we define worship by, oh yeah, just on Sunday. Or even more narrowly, just the singing, <laughs> just the music style. You know, wh why, do we, why do we like a narrow definition of worship? You know, ask ourselves, why do we like a narrow definition of worship? Because it makes worship more manageable. 
because it makes worship more manageable. If worship is simply what we do here on Sundays, then I can come on Sundays and meet all my obligations for worship. And after I leave here on Sundays, I can check that box and say, yes, obligation met. I've worshipped God. But friends, that's not what Romans 12 is saying, is it? About worship. God wants all of us, you know, all of our being. He wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, true worship is all of life. It's all of life. You, know, you might be wondering why, you know, when, when I started out this sermon, the, the sermon slide deck, you might be wondering why is there a photo of a HDB block on the slide that says true worship? You know, the, the point I'm trying to make by, by, by showing us a photo of a HG, HGB blog and then saying true worship, so it help us to think that true worship is meant to happen in ordinary, everyday life. True worship is where we live, friends. True worship is where we work. True worship happens in your marriage. True worship happens in your workplace. How you treat your colleagues, how you treat your subordinates, how you relate to your boss. That's true worship. And, and Paul is going to talk about this more in, in chapters 12 to 16. True worship is how you use your finances. True worship is how you use your leisure. True worship is how you use your retirement. True worship is how you use your friendships, how you think about your singleness, how you Conduct your dating relationship. That's true worship. True worship is how you treat your spouse. True worship is how you treat your children. It's how you relate to your parents. You know, that's true worship. And, you know, and this is such a helpful understanding of worship. You know, you know what this does if we understand worship in this way? This makes all of life significant, right? I think sometimes we struggle with significance. We wonder, yeah, I know, I, I do stuff at church, but I don't know why am I doing, why am I doing the rest of my life, right? It doesn't seem very meaningful. I, wo I work in a job that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I have family struggles. You know, my, my marriage could be better, not, not so great. My children don't always listen to me. You know, what's all of life about? What's the significance of all that? Well, this text tells us all of that is significant because it's worship. And as we live our life faithfully in all these different aspects of life, that's how God is calling us to worship Him. All of life is worship, and therefore all of life is significant in God's sight. So as you go back to work tomorrow, and, and you struggle to wonder what, what the significance is of your job, remember Romans 12. The way you do your job is worship. That's how you are glorifying God. It might seem mundane in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God, it's deeply, deeply significant. All of life is worship. And then friends, you might think, wow, you know, is it really worth giving God all of these things, right? All of my life, handing over to Him all these things. 
I would say yes, because friends, remember the motivation, we're motivated by the mercies of God. Because He's been so good to us, why wouldn't we entrust to Him all these things in our lives? Because we know His mercy. We, we, we can confidently hand over our whole lives to Him, trusting that He is good. I think that's why Jesus tells us this rather upside-down principle in the gospel. Right? It, it's very countercultural what Jesus says in Matthew 10. You know, it, goes the, it goes against the grain of what we hear from the culture, what our hearts often tell us. Jesus says, whoever finds their life, you know, whoever holds on to their life in a selfish, self-centered way, whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, why, why are we willing to lose our life for the sake of Jesus? It's because His mercy is more. You, know, you may have heard the joke of, about living sacrifices. You know, what, what's the trouble with living sacrifices? They keep trying to crawl off the altar. <laughs> you know, but, but Paul says living to emphasize that we are alive in Christ. Right? You know, that's why Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Because you have life in Christ, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Again and again and again. It's in the present tense, right? Present, present tense. Do it continually, every day. When you wake up, when you go to bed, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Again and again and again. So we die to ourselves every day. You know, we kill daily our inclination to make life all about ourselves. We deny ourselves, we take up the cross, and we follow Jesus. We go to sleep, we wake up in the morning, and we repeat, right? Repeat, repeat, repeat. That's what it means to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. And we offer ourselves together as one people of God. You know, notice how in this verse, bodies is plural, but how many sacrifices are there? How many sacrifices are there? One. You notice sacrifice is singular. You know, Paul is saying we, we are united when we live not for ourselves, but for something bigger than our individual selves. The gospel brings us all together to worship God. And we offer ourselves as one living sacrifice. So the second part of true worship is this. Right? Be transformed, not conformed. True worship involves being transformed by the renewal of our mind, not conformed to this world. And again, like present, transform is also in the present tense. Offering ourselves to God in worship means that we are constantly being changed to become more and more like Jesus. Now, Paul is warning us against the danger of spiritual complacency you know, when we stop growing. Because Paul says, if, if we're not becoming more like Jesus, we are becoming more like the world. You know, this fallen world tries to press us into its mold, to, to make us conform to its ways. As, as we think about this conformity to the world, worldliness, worldliness is not just external, right? It's not just a matter of what we watch, what, 
what, what music we listen to or, or the clothes that we wear. Worldliness is not just external things. Worldliness has to do with what we truly value, with what's most important to us in our hearts. For example, as a parent, you know, I, I know that this culture living in Singapore presses on me to value academic success above all else. That's a form of worldliness, friends. And, and if, if, I, if I'm not being transformed by Christ, I'm being conformed to what the culture tells me I should value. And Paul says, don't, don't let your hearts value what this world values, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't just clean the outside of the cup, but make sure you clean the inside as well. True transformation proceeds from the inside out. Mind renewal is a deep spiritual change in how we think and what we treasure. It involves a change of heart so that we love what God loves. How do we renew our minds? We need God's Word to dwell in us richly. As Jesus prayed this for us, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. No, but when we think about mind renewal, you know, we mustn't think that, oh, this is just about Bible study and gaining more knowledge. It's not just about Bible study. It's not just about having more Bible knowledge. You know, if, if anything, Bible knowledge doesn't make us holy in and of itself. It, it could just make us proud. So, so we need to look at another passage, right? 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Paul talks also about transforming in that, in that verse. It says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we put Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3, 18 together. What we find is transformation happens when we see the glory of Christ. And where do we see the glory of Christ? We see the glory of Christ in His Word. So it's not just about doing lots of Bible study and getting lots of Bible knowledge. It's about seeing Christ in His Word. Again and again, when we come to His Word, we ask Him, show me Jesus. Show me Jesus so that I, I, I see my need for Him more and more. I, I see His beauty and His glory. And, and the more I see His beauty and His glory in His Word, the, the more I aspire and desire to look like Him. That's what mind renewal looks like. God gives us new spiritual taste buds to love and enjoy Christ. And the more we see of Christ's glory as we come to His Word, the more we desire to follow Him, the more we desire to be like Him. Now, John Piper says it well. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Immerse your mind in the Scriptures. But that's not the end, right? It says, look steadfastly at Jesus Christ and you will be transformed into His image. And that's, that's why Paul ends in, in verse 2 by, by, saying, by saying this, right? The, the goal of renewing our minds is not simply to gain more knowledge. It's not just an intellectual exercise. The, it, it's so that, Paul says this, the aim, it's so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God 
he's saying you need to renew your mind so that you know God's will. But not only know God's will, you love God's will. Right? The idea of testing and discerning, it's a picture of proving the genuineness of a metal. That's the word that Paul uses. When you prove that, uh, that goal is really goal, you know, it's not just an intellectual thing that you learn, right? Oh yeah, goal is goal, that's great. But, but because you know that this metal is gold, then you, know, then you know that it's precious. You cherish it. You treasure it. Because you know that it's, it's, it's of value. And that's what Paul is saying here. You know, you, you renew your minds. And as your, as your minds are renewed, you, you, you treasure, you love, and you value the will of God. And then you do it. I think sometimes we jump from no to do. But, but no, 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 Paul is saying, no, don't just jump from no to do. Go from no to love and then do. No, love, and do God's word. Test and discern. And as, as we test and discern, that we will know that the will of God is good that it is acceptable, that it is perfect. And it's not just an intellectual knowledge, it's, it's a heart treasuring of the will of God. And friends, that is worship. That is worship. You know, in the moment, this service will come to an end, but our worship will continue. Our worship is meant to continue into the rest of Sunday afternoon, into Monday morning, as you ride that MRT or bus, or you drive in your car, your worship continues. It continues from Monday to Friday, continues into Saturday, and then we come here again as we gather together for corporate worship. Friends, God has saved us for this worship, to give our lives completely to Him, so as we end here, go into the world and worship God. Worship Him with all of your life. Why? Because He has been so merciful to us. Friends, let's spend some time reflecting and praying together. Let's all pray. Gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise. Even as we consider the mercies of Christ, we are the first to acknowledge that we do not deserve such mercy. But Father, we can only praise you. We can only thank you for the mercies that you have lavished upon us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we come to you now, we pray that you would expose our hearts before you. Father, you know what we truly treasure. You see our hearts. You see what we worship. You know what we ascribe worth and value to. So, Father, as we come to you, we, we pray that you would search us. Father, we pray that you would help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest before you, that we would come to you with soft hearts, that we would come to you willing to submit ourselves to you completely. Just not, not simply one part of our lives, but our entire life. Maybe give it all to you now in humble worship.
because you have been so merciful to us. So Father, in the quiet of this moment, Father, we pray that you would search us. Help us to come to you with open hearts. Gracious Father, we commit ourselves to you afresh. Father, you have given us so much. You've given us your very Son, your beloved Son. How can we not give you ourselves? So Father, as we prepare to scatter into the world this week, Father, we pray that you would give us hearts inflamed by your mercies. Help us present ourselves to you completely as, living as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to you. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We pray that you would help us. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.